I just say, anybody who's on a march who wants to know what's going on in the world and their place in it is an intellectual. Even if it's a kid who's just joined the march, he's had no education, he's been playing truant, he's an intellectual. The only people who have any culture are the ones who don't throw away the past. It's the only way we'll save ourselves. Welcome to Identity, a series brought to you by ID Magazine. Join me, Osman Ahmed, ID's Fashion Features Director, as I explore the enduring legacy of some of the last four decades' most influential subcultures. This week, we're looking back at the life and work of punk legend, activist and fashion designer, the iconic Vivian Westwood. Vivian Westwood uh, was one of the most important designers of the late 20th century. She challenged the status quo. So smart, not afraid to just follow her own original path. She looked amazing, amazing. I was so proud when I walked down the road with her. Using clothes as a way of expressing ideas and social and cultural movements. It's really rare to have a designer whose messaging is literally embedded in the wearing of their clothes. She really grasped how powerfully meaningful fashion can be. Born Vivian Isabel Swire on the 8th of April 1941 in a small hamlet of cottages in Derbyshire, Westwood came of age when spectacular youth cultures were beginning to emerge in post-war Britain. When she moved to London with her family at the age of 17, she immersed herself in the city's museums and galleries and enrolled in Harrow School of Arts, but eventually became a primary school teacher, one of the few jobs available to women at the time. But in the late 1960s, she met Malcolm McLaren, and the two would set up a shop on the King's Road, changing the fate of fashion forever. Here's Joe Corey, Vivian and Malcolm's son, who recounts growing up in the midst of those punk years with two parents who were defining what culture would look like in the decades to come. You know, the sort of house that I grew up in was like a kind of, was like a sort of small factory. Um, it was a small flat, two small bedrooms, private landlord. It was mostly immigrant families that lived in the block from all over the world, actually. And so I sort of grew up immersed, uh, surrounded by quite a multicultural group of friends and group of people, certainly as a little child. And as I said, our, our flat became like a sort of small factory. There was always something going on. And I guess the first thing that they started working on creatively together was pretty much when they opened their first shop in the King's Road. Yeah, it was my mum. She was always trying to make things, I mean, whatever it was. I mean, she'd be making her own clothes, clothes for the shop. She could make anything. I'm brilliant at that. Not very good at cooking. <laughs> The first iteration of the shop, Let It Rock, 
was a 1950s-inspired boutique that catered to teddy boys, which then became Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, a hangout for bikers and rockers. Then, in 1974, they opened the now iconic shop, Sex, where Vivian's experiments with fabric treatments, graphic tees and fetish design were cemented. You know, one of her things she would be doing every week at a certain point was designing a new T-shirt that she could have printed to be in that shop on a Saturday. And so I think, you know, she kind of learned her craft in terms of graphics. Anyway, that shop lasted a couple of years, maybe, um, and did very well. They were very successful for the first time in life ever. We actually had some money. Vivian wore all of her own designs, and even in 1970s London, she really stood out from the crowd. You know, I definitely remember even as a child walking down the road with my mother, and literally cars crashing into it, you know, the one in front, because I just couldn't stop looking at her. She looked amazing, amazing. I was so proud when I walked down the road with her. Those few short years that punk exploded onto the London scene. Vivian and Malcolm were at its epicentre. Malcolm managed the country's hottest new band, the Sex Pistols, while new names like its bassist, Sid Vicious, defined the look, sound and attitude of London's punk scene. Vivian was the perfect person to interpret punk's political and artistic ethos through clothing. I'm Valerie Steele, director and chief curator of the museum at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Vivian Westwood uh, was one of the most important designers of the late 20th century. She was really the first designer who um, took up the whole punk subcultural style and brought that into the fashion world. And Valerie, in regards to punk, why was that important in terms of fashion? What did that do in the 20th century? Well, punk came after the whole sort of hippie influence in fashion, and it was a reaction to it. It's been called a subculture in revolt and a deliberately revolting style. And so the music and the fashions and the whole aesthetic of punk was deliberately confrontational. And that fit very well with Vivian's personality and her aesthetic, her her whole worldview, actually. She very much felt that it was important to struggle against what she called the orthodox viewpoint. But punk wasn't to last, and it was obvious to Vivian that its ethos of pure destruction was going nowhere. I stopped caring about punk because I didn't think people were thinking. Instead of keep banging your head against the establishment, you have to go faster. Joe Corey takes us back to that time at the end of the 70s. They'd sort of done this whole kind of punk thing and came out the other end of that, feeling very much that it had been a failure. Stale, stagnant and, I don't know, sort of unintelligent. It's all right to smash everything up and say this is all rubbish and we want something new, but if you don't have some ideas and some education and some kind of research about what new looks like and what you're trying to build out of the ashes of something, all you end up with is a load of ashes. 
Malcolm had sort of burned himself out trying to take this idea to the most outrageous level he could try to take it to because he didn't know where he was going with it, really. And, you know, Sid was dead and uh, a load of other people were dead. Um, a load of other people turned to, like, terrible junkies. But, as I said, it all got to a point where it kind of, where I think they felt that their attempt at revolution and changing the world had kind of failed. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I believe that anymore these days. I think there were some very positive things that actually came out of punk rock in a, in a creative way that have spilled over right through to this day um, and continue to do so. Um, but I certainly think at that time they definitely felt that very strongly. And so they decided they were going to kind of take the leap and go into the fashion world, the fashion business at that time. Um, and that's what they did. And that's how when they launched the Pirate Collection. But all of those titles from, you know, you know, Pirate Collection, Hobo, Witches, uh, whatever, you know, they're all titles for outsiders right they're, they're making um heroes out of the the villains in 1981 at the age of 40 and now under her own name vivian showed her first catwalk collection and it was like nothing people had seen before named pirates it was a collection that would define her career reforming historical references into an innovative, modern collection that became instantly influential and debuted her now iconic prints, featuring twists of ropes around models' chests. Billowing shirts and empire waistlines reigned supreme, styled with crop-tailored bloomers and 18th-century naval headwear. This emphasis on the history of clothing was incredibly important to Vivian, and she would look to the past for inspiration over the duration of her career. Sometimes she took this to extremes, with clothing that wasn't so easy to wear, such as her mini crinny collection of spring-summer 1986. That one combined cumbersome crinolines of the 18th century with the 1960s miniskirt. Then there was her reintroduction of outrageously high 12-inch platform heels, which Naomi Campbell famously took a tumble in during Vivian's Anglomania show in 1993. At that point, clothes have become and accessories have become almost like prosthetic devices attached to the body that make you some kind of a half-machine, half-person. Valerie Steele. She would have just laughed if you said that's not wearable. She's like, what's the point of talking about that? The point is, is it interesting? Is it, you know, is this something that will give you a sense of power? If you're towering six feet over everybody else, don't you look and feel more powerful? So very radical ideas that combined with her special sort of genius for using clothes as a way of expressing ideas and social and cultural movements. The story of Vivian Westwood's invention of the post-apocalyptic punk look is well documented. But as she took to the catwalk and brought her work into the fold of high fashion, she never stopped innovating with her designs. And one of the most iconic Westwood pieces is her corset, which she subverted for a generation of women taking control of their own bodies. I think you have to have that sixth sense of what's going to sell. You know, when you do that little corset and it just gives this decollete that nobody's seen since 1800. You know, I mean, you, 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 uh, you just know you're onto something. 
you know, Sadie Frost, she was the first person to wear that on the catwalk and the photographers just died. Come back, baby. They were, their eyes were crossed. They were just, couldn't believe it. Well, Vivian Westwood really was the first person who introduced underwear as outerwear into the fashion world, uh, certainly in the modern era, because she saw the sexuality of the body as being a really important thing to emphasize in fashion. Now, the punks had already done some of that because they looked into pornography and corsets, brassieres, girdles. They were wearing all that kind of thing. And she then historicized it and emphasized it as outerwear, putting bras and bustier-type garments on top of clothes. And that really had a major impact. People had for a long time thought of the corset in terms of, you know, women were oppressed and they were, you know, crippled by their clothes. And instead, she made it look like something that was very sexually powerful for women. And then it was picked up by other designers, most notably Jean-Paul Gaultier. And then Madonna was put into Gaultier's corsets. And that sort of really launched this reevaluation of what the meaning of corsetry was. So also, I think Vivian's clothes, they were about power. They were about status, but they were also about rebellion. But she made it very clear that her clothes did have social and cultural ideas and relevance woven into them. But she also talked openly about fashion as being about power and not just empowerment in a kind of bourgeois, you'll be a great female executive way, but more dramatically, I mean, extreme power. You'll be a, a, a ruler. You'll be a queen. Well, and Vivian had a very strong sense of, of English, British history in particular. I mean, appearing wearing the crown and ermine and holding the orb and scepter. Clothes could be something which said, you know, don't fuck with me. I won't fuck with you. This power came from Vivian's core. Joe Corre recalls how all along it was his mother that was really the driving force in the creative relationship between his parents. In the end, the T-shirt was what all those punks queued from fucking Sloan Square every Saturday afternoon and marched down to the end of the road and bought the fucking T-shirt, you know. So, you know, she did every one of them. He couldn't. He didn't have the patience or the skill to be able to do anything like that. Um you know, Malcolm's attitude to things was kind of like needing like a quick idea somehow that he could steal and use and turn into something to, to have a quick effect. Vivian's approach was much more deep, really studying like uh, if they're doing pirates. It's really studying 18th century dress and what pirates really stood for. And, you know, I don't know, she would really develop the kind of uh, understanding of something to to a depth that Malcolm was never interested in if he couldn't use it quickly as a kind of gimmick, you know. Um, and I think Vivian became much more interested, as she always was, in actually, you know, the roots of ideas, um, in learning. She had an incredible thirst for knowledge, was self-taught. She was a school teacher when I was a young child, but you know, later on sort of gave that up and, uh, but never gave up her thirst for knowledge. 
By now, Vivian had found her stride and her voice, which had become one of the most prominent in the fashion and even political landscapes. Olivia Singer is ID's global editorial director and discovered Vivian not through her interest in fashion, but through Westwood's politics. Vivian Westwood was the first fashion designer who I knew. And then as her and Malcolm McLaren split up and she stopped seeing herself as an amplification of Malcolm's ideas and more investigated what rebellion meant to her, it became something that as a woman I felt instinctively inclined towards. And I think that she understood rebellion as subverting notions of feminine constriction within the landscape of historical dress codes. So using, for example, a corset not as a means of restriction or confinement, but as a a way of sexual emancipation for women, which you can see in the clothes, as well as most importantly, I think you can feel in the clothes when you're a woman wearing them. I think there are two ways of understanding Westwood, and one is through hearing her or reading her talk about her clothes, but also in terms of wearing them. And I think that as a woman wearing her clothes, you learn an incredible amount about the way she saw women in fashion, in clothes, the way she wanted to address the representation and empowerment of women. And I think that it's really rare to have a designer whose messaging is literally embedded in the wearing of their clothes. Like you put those clothes on and and you feel, or I feel, like a sense of like sexuality and liberated sexuality from them. It seemed like centuries ago. Throughout recent history, there are only a few names whom we can really pinpoint as true fashion innovators. There's Ray Petrie, inventor of styling, whose life we covered in season one of this very podcast on the episode Buffalo Stars. And like Ray, Vivian Westwood's manifestation of her beliefs through fashion still resonate to this day. When I was at at FIT student fashion show last night and it was all kind of corsets and brassiere tops with bare midriffs. It was a continuation of underwear as outerwear. She was always looking for clothes that had a kind of power to them. She could never understand why women wanted to look like a sort of mediocre version of a man, a sort of asexual body. She thought the sexual body was much more powerful. So in those ways, her her research uh, turned out to transform the face of fashion and has continued to be an important inspiration. Again, taking something from the past and making it new, sort of like Walter Benjamin's Tiger's Leap into the Past, where you grab something and you rip it into the present and you have this very uh, transgressive and powerful result, like a kind of explosion. And you can't imagine people like McQueen or Galliano existing without there having been Westwood first. She was a really transformative figure for British fashion, for global fashion.
don't go anywhere. We'll be back after the break. We've got to build a movement. It's called Intellectuals Unite. I started this with the idea that we've got to link all the NGOs, link everybody who doesn't agree with the government. It's the only way we'll save ourselves. As we've already heard, Vivian's work was wrapped up in her politics. This rebellious, outspoken streak really came to the fore in the mid-2000s when she began to use her platform as one of the world's most famous designers to fight against social and political injustice. Cora Corre is Vivian's granddaughter and campaigns and project manager at the Vivian Foundation, which was founded in her late grandmother's honour last year. I guess first and foremost, she was my grandmother and realising various family members of mine had somehow shaped British subculture wasn't something as I became older that surprised me in the sense that aside kind of from the popularity of the clothes um, associated with punk, which is what it's probably best known for alongside its music, but punk as a movement retains its relevance because it originally came about as an anti-establishment movement with people kind of sick and tired of how the country was run in the late 60s and early 70s. And I feel we live in a time now not too dissimilar from that. And so what is so important in our family and something that's definitely a shared or collective set of values and morals that I was sort of brought up around is kind of speaking out and standing up for things that are important and what is right. And Cora, what exactly is the aim of the foundation? Vivian had very much a sense of justice from such a young age. Um, I guess ultimately she became aware that she had this platform and she felt a sense of duty to share and shed light on issues. So we built the foundation upon four pillars Uh, which are halt climate change, stop war, defend human rights and protest capitalism. And this was because Vivian did see all of these issues kind of like as one. And I think she, she really showed me and I think other people too, that, you know, our voices do matter and the public opinion and as individuals, our voices are what we can really utilize for real change to happen. And I feel that, you know, she's often called a pioneer in the fashion industry. But I think she should also be given credit for being a pioneer of platforms and utilising her platform. Um, Because we all should and we all should speak up on issues. Cora's father, Joe, explains how the values of sustainability was stitched into his mother's story. And, you know, because she was brought up during the war, but brought up with that thing of never wasting anything. Um, you know, the biggest pleasure she gets was when she made a pattern or something for clothing, and there was no waste when you cut the fabric out. I remember she made this coat. She literally used the full width of the fabric, and I can't remember how she did it, but it was like kind of origami, and she just kind of cut this thing like a slit down the middle of it, 
put over your head and then she go, oh no, gathered these other bits and made these cuts. There was not one piece of waste and the coat, it's, in, it's not like, it doesn't look like a bloody bag, you know what I mean? Like where you just cut something out of a square. It's got so much shape. I mean, everything about it's just brilliant. Of course, fashion is not always the most environmentally friendly industry, especially one to espouse sustainability values in. Nevertheless, Vivian wore her beliefs on her sleeve, and fashion was always the way in which she communicated to the world. I always thought it was really interesting how she expressed uh, that fashion offered a soft focus point into changing the world. Olivia Singer she used fashion and she used luxury fashion and her fashion had to be luxury by virtue of how it was constructed. She used that as a means to semaphore how she felt about issues in this world as they related to identity as a woman, politics, environmentalism and the clothes came a way in. That isn't to say at all that the clothes were secondary. I think what's so interesting about what she did is that the two parts of the conversation were equally important because, you know, as she always said, uh, buy less, buy better. It was it was like all of the parts of the things she believed in genuinely sort of married together, which I think is so remarkably rare mm. and comes from the fact that everything she did, she sought to do in as, as truly to herself as she could. Like so many great artists, Vivian was, of course, complex. Here's Valerie Steele again. Well, I remember I've, I interviewed Vivian, long phone call, when I did my book, Women of Fashion, 20th Century Designers. And um, afterwards, I had an assistant typing it up, and she said, well, that interview just not very good, was it? And I said, are you kidding? That interview was genius. But she rambled, you know, she went all over the place. But within all of this, there were so many gems. She had so much to say, and it just kind of all flowed out. But within that, there were amazing, amazing quotes. She wasn't afraid of contradicting herself. She would just go off on tangents. But then she was so smart and so interesting and not afraid to just follow her own original path. And I think that it's strange, but that's extremely unusual. Most people are very conditioned to go in the direction that they've been taught to go. And she she had, for whatever reason, this amazing kind of courage to say what she had to say through these clothes. The 20th century was a mistake. It preached the idea of smashing the past. We call it iconoclasm. It's like telling a scientist to throw away his laboratory. You throw away all your technique, you throw away all the skills, you throw away all the people in the past who've been geniuses. You don't want to know about them because everything comes from you. We don't have any artists today. You know, they, they don't have any vision whatsoever. And that's why they're not artists. They're just in it for the money, kind of, and talking about themselves. Vivian was determined to leave a better world when she left, and so she did. Her dedication to the next generation was something that was present throughout her entire life. 
When she returned to visit the primary school she taught at in South London all those years before, this dedication shone through. Olivia Singer accompanied her that day. When I went back to um, that primary school with her, she staged an impromptu assembly for all the kids there. All she kept saying to them, and they're, you know, they're like seven, eight, nine years old. All she kept saying to them was read history books, understand what happened before us. And that is what will save the world. She kept saying, I remember she was so direct. It was incredible. I mean, normally people are, you know, step softly around kids. And I just, it was so amazing seeing her talking to these kids like that because they responded so directly to her. Like they understood what she was saying. And also it was really funny because she often referred to herself as as a teacher through her clothes. But obviously she started her life as an actual teacher of kids that age and loved seeing how much all these kids loved her way of teaching and related and engaged with her way of teaching in the same way that I've seen so many people who know and love her clothes respond to the messaging of those. She was just an incredible communicator and an incredible teacher. There are few people who have left such a legacy, both as a designer and a campaigner. But of course, the influence Vivian had on her family is perhaps the most profound. Cora Corre. I was extremely privileged growing up, but did I ever think I was kind of within this glamorised realm of this icon? Not really, because she was my granny. And I was lucky that I was brought up where I didn't feel the pressure to kind of be within this industry and I was allowed the space to kind of find my own footing and my own passions and a hundred percent those dinner table conversations which weren't normal for a 10 year old to be discussing whatever we would discuss but they shaped me they made me have a real drive to be more intellectual to read more to understand things to question things I read in the newspapers And for that, I'm forever grateful. But she challenged everything, you know. My own experience was that she very much challenged me. But she definitely was a huge advocate of educating yourself. Um, She sort of challenged everyone to do better through educating themselves. And I think she challenged the status quo. And I feel like what was most important to her is challenging the injustices in the world. Here's Joe Corey again, talking about his mother. I mean, I remember coming home from school one day when I was young and like I was really upset and fed up because I think I was getting bullied or people were taking the piss out of me or something. I can't remember exactly what had happened, but I remember being a bit miserable about it. And she said to me, you know, just you should never care what other people think about you. Somehow that kind of, like, the penny dropped in my mind and it was like freedom after that. I told you, you know, she used to be a school teacher and stuff. And um, one of the things that made her a brilliant school teacher and also a brilliant mother, she was always willing to listen to your point of view, even if you were a little kid. And not just listen to your point of view, but she was willing to change her mind about something 
And um, to be able to have that kind of rapport with somebody, despite the age difference, right, but just shows a kind of, I don't know, a sense of trust and a sense of um, openness. You know, she was incredibly special like that. I'll leave the last words with Olivia Singer, a true Vivian Westwood superfan. I think you can see Vivian's legacy in almost anything that's good in fashion. (laughs) I think that she's a designer's designer. And I think the designers who I love and admire most in the world have shown an incredible debt to her, whether that's Marc Jacobs or whether that's Ray Kawakubo. Any designer who's using corsetry is literally paying homage to her legacy. The way she understood the female body and form can be seen in any designer who approaches construction of clothing in that way. Anyone who is using clothes as a vehicle of expression is part of that lineage that she has been such a pivotal part of and that applies to environmentalism which I think a new generation of designers are more acutely attuned to than their predecessors and I think that that is what the most exciting designers of every generation do and so I think her legacy is sort of omnipresent in fashion it's sort of the foundational elements of the things that I love and find exciting about fashion. I'd love to ask how you feel about that word icon and how you feel about being described as one. Well, I'm not interested. I mean, ten, ten years after I'm dead, nobody will even remember you. It doesn't matter, you know, I don't care. You know, hopefully, you never know, this business might still be going. Well, it will be with Andreas. He'll remember me and make sure that it's Vivian and Andreas somehow working together. No, no, I just want to save the world and get a life, you know. I mean, but, and that is one of my slogans, which is to do with literally let the next generation get a life. Identity was written and presented by Osman Army, with research and additional writing by Ailey Duffy and Mohoro Siru. Identity is produced by Amelia Phillips with assistance by Marta Abramaitite and art by Callum Glenday and Alexandra Talarchi. The audio producer was me, Robin Lieber, and Identity is a Podmasters production for Vice Media.